Episode 008, we talk about the flood of the big financial institutions running to Bitcoin. We talk about BlackRock and an undercover investigation that surfaced. We talk about the war in Ukraine and the potential marrying up AI with blockchain technology. Second of June, we have about 10 or 11 months until the next Bitcoin halving, when the amount of Bitcoin that can be mined will be cut in half from about 6 Bitcoin every 10 minutes to approximately 3 Bitcoin per minute and some, and some Satoshi, some, some Satoshi change. And as I sit here at the beginning of the 22nd of June, the price of Bitcoin is now $30,113. And so it has been on the rise, no doubt, from the interest that the financial, the traditional financial, financial institutions have started showing in Bitcoin now. First and foremost, BlackRock the largest asset manager on the planet with about 20 trillion dollars um, under management and a number of institutions like BlackRock have just jumped on board trying to uh, be permitted to offer ETFs exchange traded funds and as you know, if you invest in these funds in the future, uh, it, it is really an indicator that you really haven't done your homework. Uh, the, these funds, BlackRock, Fidelity, Schwab, they're all trying to establish these Bitcoin funds. <clears throat> of course, you won't own the Bitcoin. You won't have the keys to the Bitcoin. Therefore, you're just investing in a Bitcoin-empowered fund, but you don't own the Bitcoin. And so this seems exciting perhaps to some folks. To me, it sounds dreadfully uh, bad. You want to take custody of your own Bitcoin. Nevertheless, when you see these large financial, financial institutions, the traditional fiat, fund managers and fund management companies investing now and pursuing Bitcoin. If nothing else, what it shows normies is that uh, there's something to this Bitcoin thing. You can't have BlackRock willing to dump significant money into the Bitcoin project. 
if there wasn't something there, if it was in fact a fad. So this is going to raise a lot of interest with a lot of folks that otherwise would never have considered Bitcoin. They're going to start looking into it and wonder why all of the uh, fund managers, why these companies are looking into Bitcoin, trying to establish ETFs, filing with the SEC to do so. This will engender an exponential amount of additional interest in Bitcoin. And all that can conceivably do is cause the value of Bitcoin to grow, in my estimation. But as a military planner, I'm always wondering what the downside could be. What are the repercussions of this that perhaps we don't see at first blush when normies start getting interested in Bitcoin? Um, are there downsides to this? Are there downsides for the common Bitcoin enthusiast, the Bitcoin adherent or trooper that wants to continue buying Bitcoin? When BlackRock starts purchasing up and trying to um, accumulate as much Bitcoin as possible, what repercussions could that have for you and I trying to uh, buy more Bitcoin? What repercussions might accrue to miners worldwide? Bitcoin mining, would they be impacted at all by a monstrosity like BlackRock entering into the Bitcoin realm? I'm looking at an article in the BlockWorks website, BlockWorks, written by Darren Klein on the 19th of June. His article is BlackRock Bitcoin ETF. The wolf enters the hen house? And anyhow, the points that he brings up in his article are quite interesting. Quoting from the article, he says that Morgan Creek Capital Management says CHAPO, maybe that's how you pronounce it, it's X-A-P-O, CHAPO, the institutional scale crypto custody tool that Coinbase acquired in 2019, could come into regulatory play. What if, he asks, BlackRock can take over the storage unit? BlackRock would then hold a significant portion of crypto assets in America, he says. And if they have the bulk of it, regulators could then shut down the Coinbase exchange as an SEC-alleged unlicensed casino and hand the CHOPO unit over to BlackRock. Host Ippolito adds that the response from the Bitcoin community has been pretty roundly negative regarding the ETF application. In the filing, there's a little paragraph about what BlackRock would do in the event of a hard fork, Ippolito says. BlackRock is going to have to make a decision. Now, in that article, there's a insert from a Instagram personality. Uh, his handle is Anil Sedzo. First name, Anil. He's the author of Bitcoin Essential Concepts. He read through the BlackRock ETF filing, and he found some interesting things that he shows there on the website. Specifically, it says, in the event of a hard fork of the Bitcoin network, the sponsor will use its discretion to determine which network should be considered the appropriate network for the trust purposes, and in so doing, may adversely affect the value 
of the shares. And then if you drop down a little further in the ETF filing, it says, there is no guarantee that the sponsor, that would be BlackRock, will choose the digital asset that is ultimately the most valuable fork. Going back to the article now, it says that in the event of a hard fork, Ippolito explains, there will be two different copies of Bitcoin. As has happened in previous forks, one of the two will be selected as the canonical chain. And BlackRock's going to have to make a decision about that. The article goes on to say that fears swirl around the possibilities of BlackRock closing off access to what some would perceive as the preferred fork. But Ippolito is concerned with the Bitcoin community's pushback. Ippolito says that it makes me think that they don't really understand social consensus. If you want Bitcoin to keep going up and be widely adopted, you need larger and larger buyers. And so this is one possibility to look out for and to keep our eyes focused upon if we ever hit a situation here where BlackRock was in a position to make a decision on a hard fork. Are there any other vulnerabilities or any other possibilities? Achilles heels, we're not seeing any kind of Trojan horses. We're not seeing with the the large institutions now entering into the Bitcoin space. Yeah. Is the bullish increase in the Bitcoin price, is it temporary? Or, or is this, are we now in the upswing? Are we going to see a bull market continue at this point in a wider adoption, more widespread acceptance and understanding and enthusiasm for Bitcoin, which might mitigate government pushback. If we find an enormous institution like BlackRock embracing Bitcoin, BlackRock works hand in glove with government officials, with politicians. Uh, they're, they're about making money. And so if they see value in Bitcoin, it would seem like that might be in some ways a protection for the common Bitcoin holder, you and I, because they, they don't want to kill the goose that might be laying the golden egg for them. And so it could be a good development in that regard. What could potentially be damaging in my assessment, my initial assessment is, what if this mammoth monstrosity of a company, BlackRock, starts cutting off access to exchanges, making it harder and harder for the common person to access Bitcoin, to be able to purchase Bitcoin at a reasonable fee, reasonable access. And so BlackRock is filing for a Bitcoin ETF and they shockingly are proposing that Coinbase, who they've dealt with in the past, that Coinbase would be the custodian for that ETF if approved. Coinbase and Binance having recently been sued by Gary Gensler and the Securities and Exchange Commission. Binance, on the other hand, is continuing to fight back against the SEC 
just now, yesterday, they're arguing that the SEC has absolutely no evidence of commingling of funds in the documents that they presented, so they're fighting back in that regard. Meanwhile, other investment firms, such as Wisdom Tree and Invesco, are seeking now spot Bitcoin EFTs. They've tried to do so in the past, they were rejected. They're trying again now as BlackRock seems to be leading the way, leading the charge there. But my going in assumption, again, as a military planner, I have to assume that BlackRock, the folks that are making the decisions within BlackRock to pursue Bitcoin, that they're not true believers. They haven't taken the orange pill. They, my, my going in assumption is that they're just seeing the relative staying power of Bitcoin, that there's something there. Um, and they're looking at it as nothing more than an opportunity to accumulate great wealth. And so they're going to try to manipulate it, figure out how they can dominate that space, manipulate it through whatever means for their own benefit, for their own profit. And in that regard, there's the twist. There's the, the problem that we have to look out for, the ambush. Again, I find it suspicious, the timing of the SEC suits against Coinbase and Binance, shortly thereafter followed by, almost immediately, BlackRock's filing for a Bitcoin ETF with Coinbase as the proposed custodian. Strange timing there because you know the CEO of BlackRock, Larry Fink. You know he works very closely with Washington. And so he wouldn't be putting his neck out in the line if this wasn't a almost a sure thing. So, so what's going on here? What is the SEC doing what, knowing that BlackRock is going to make this move? And beyond that, then, what does that mean for us? When BlackRock attempts to manipulate and dominate this Bitcoin space, not being true believers in it, what are they able to do? What, what would their next moves be? What kind of power will they be able to leverage in the space? Because we know they can't hack into the into the block. They can't hack into the blockchain. They can't interrupt the Bitcoin protocol. But what about the threat to hard forks in the future? Is it something we need to be worried about? On the other hand, with BlackRock and now Fidelity, Schwab, Citadel Securities, Wisdom Tree, Valkyrie Investments, Invesco, Bitwise, across the pond, Deutsche Bank. These organizations now all scrambling to get in on some of the Bitcoin action. This could very well be the thing that unintended by them that actually bolsters and secures Bitcoin with respect to the common Bitcoin enthusiasts in the United States.
as again they're very well connected in washington if they're interested in bitcoin then they will use their leverage they will use their pull with key politicians to ensure legislation is enacted to if nothing else preclude the possibility of bitcoin being outlawed for example if you look at the extreme end of a, a, a possible future that, that we need to contemplate it's hard to envision the federal government outlawing bitcoin and throwing up severe restrictions for the private citizen to access bitcoin ownership and pursuit if these monster investment firms are all about entering into and profiting from the Bitcoin space. And I'm quite sure that these firms, the leaders of these firms, their, their think tanks, probably most of them have no idea the core principles of Bitcoin. Um, they're not dummies, they're, they're, they're learning it, they're, they're coming around to it, but they don't have an incentive to really understand it and see it. They're locked in their Keynesian economic models and their monetarist models. For example, Larry, Larry Fink just six days ago, he made a comment about inflation and he said that the, the global slowdown in productivity coming off of COVID and et cetera, but this is a reason why we have such sticky inflation, he said. Absolutely not, Larry. We have inflation because we have been creating dollars out of thin air. We have just been printing money and creating digital dollars out of thin air, more so than ever in the history of the United States. Exponentially so. This is what's causing inflation an excess money supply, an exponentially high money supply. But they don't get that. Matter of fact, he, he blamed remote work, the trend towards remote work for productivity falling off. And his solution is AI. He says that AI can solve that problem and help with productivity. In an interview with Financial Times, he says, quote, AI has the huge potential to increase productivity and transform margins across sectors. He says that that would bring down the inflation. And it just shows that he doesn't get it. He's so insulated in his hyper-productive billionaire world. CEO of the largest asset management company in the entire world that he doesn't have the eyes to see what causes inflation in the economy. He's stuck in, in, in mental neutral with a Keynesian mental model of the economy. And so he doesn't see it. He's not incentivized to be able to see it. AI has the weakness, and I've said this for years, it gets programmed, it gets initiated, it gets started at the beginning by initial protocols initial initial value statements data in data out garbage in garbage out so AI in and of itself is not a neutral thing 
that learns. It starts from a, a basis of ideas and assumptions. And so who is going to program upon what basis is the AI that Larry Fink thinks would solve the problems of inflation? From which, from which basis would these AI systems be birthed, created? Because if the AI systems don't identify the reckless, irresponsible creation of money out of nothing, and, it, and AI doesn't address that problem, then AI being unleashed on the problems of productivity still would not solve the problems of inflation. Speaking of AI, however, we have now the launch, or the imminent launch, of a new AI system called the Spirit of Satoshi. It's said to be a large language, Bitcoin-centric AI that's developed on and created from an assumption set, a, a value assumption set of Bitcoin's core values. And it has the mission of introducing, their, their, their goal, their mission is to introduce Bitcoin to the next billion people. And so not a whole lot of details on accessibility of this spirit of Satoshi. There is a website where you can sign up with your email to be part of this and ostensibly to get updates as this thing rolls out. So this will be interesting to see what kind of functions a Bitcoin-centric large language AI could have in the Bitcoin space. So that's something I'm going to keep my eyes open for. Maybe we'll see some kind of dystopian clash of AI systems in one corner the fiat monetary AI systems, maybe even those embraced by Larry Fink, clashing against the spirit of Satoshi and Bitcoin's centric AI systems. And so while we're on the topic of BlackRock, we're talking Bitcoin, we've, we've talked the Ukraine war in the past. Well, O'Keefe Media Group just broke with a story uh, two days ago about a BlackRock recruiter who was interviewed and he shared some very interesting insights. He didn't know he was being interviewed, uh, so he was being very candid. But what did he say? What did he say? The article says, in the footage, a BlackRock recruiter named Serge Varley describes how BlackRock is able to run the world in about seven minutes of riveting undercover footage. The footage was captured over the course of several meetings in New York by one of OMG's News' Rockstar undercover journalists. I did watch the, the footage of the entire interview. This BlackRock recruiter says, and I'm quoting, the senators are effing cheap. You got 10 grand, you can buy a senator. Farley remarked in what is arguably the most unabashed description of corruption and bribery from their own company that we've ever heard. Uh, the, it goes on to say, here's a quote, you can take this big effing ton of money and buy people. I work for a company called BlackRock. It's not who is the president, 
It's who's controlling the wallet of the president. You could buy your candidates. First, there's the senators. These guys are effing cheap. Got 10 grand, you can buy a senator. I'll give you 500,000 right now. It doesn't matter who wins, they're in my pocket. And then he says that uh, the war in Ukraine, he says that it's real effing good for business. And quote, Ukraine is good for business. You know that, right? Russia blows up Ukraine's grain silos and the price of wheat is gonna go mad up. The Ukrainian economy is the wheat market. The price of bread goes up. This is fantastic. If you're trading, volatility creates opportunity for profit. And so, along these lines, I've mentioned that, that war is profitable. And we've discussed in previous episodes some of the very sordid details of this war in Ukraine. And we see BlackRock and these other massive investment firms, the banks have their fingers in all of this as well, as well as the politicians in Washington. We, we employ our military now as a bunch of imperial mercenaries. This is not about defending the nation. This is not about keeping the world safe for democracy. Th those are silly little platitudes for naive adults. Um, but, but that's not true. This is not what we do. And so in the same regard, BlackRock is interested, as all of the others are, in Bitcoin, not because of why you and I are interested in it. And it allows us to opt out of a very corrupt, corrupt and rigged system of wealth redistribution, taking it away from you. This, this inflation that Larry Fink has no clue what causes it. Bitcoin allows you to have a modicum of freedom, a modicum of maneuverability in your personal life to protect your wealth, to opt out of the system when it concerns store of value of your hard-earned wealth in a, in a vehicle, in a space that a government cannot touch, that a BlackRock cannot touch, that a politician cannot touch. And so BlackRock and the others, they're in this just for the profit potential, just for what they can milk out of the concept of Bitcoin, nothing more. And yet, even in so doing, it could aid and abet the cause of Bitcoin, as it will cause others to think about it more deeply and to ask questions and perhaps be a bit more interested in what Bitcoin is all about. But yes, war is profitable. And you may have seen the announcement from the Pentagon on the 20th, just a couple of days ago, where they admitted that they accidentally spent $6.2 billion on Ukraine. Accidentally overspent $6.2 billion on Ukraine. Whoops, just a little accounting error, nothing, nothing to worry about, taxpayer. Just keep paying your taxes, and they will keep making major clerical gaffes in this war in Ukraine, which, by the way, is going nowhere. The great Ukrainian counteroffensive is dead in the water. It's going nowhere. It's achieving nothing. We have an ongoing World War I-like <laughs> trench warfare, immobile, 
stalled war of attrition. And that may seem like a bad thing, but if you're profiting from the war, it's a very good thing. It means that we have an extended cash cow we can continue to milk. Uh, hopefully for you and I, uh, nuclear weapons aren't accidentally released soon or launched soon or some kind of a mishap that occurs that way. But, uh, you know, in the short term, okay, we're, there's people making a lot of money off of this. And, you know, the military is right there to be the cheerleaders for it and, and uh, wave the flag and, and talk about how they're defending freedom in the West, how NATO is the great champion of democracy, and we're keeping the world safe. Ah, here's one more article. Uh, Breitbart, an article by John Binder entitled Wall Street Windfall, BlackRock Tap to Rebuild Ukraine's Economy. It says Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is tapping Wall Street firms like BlackRock and J.P. Morgan to help garner private and public investments to rebuild Ukraine amid its war with Russia. Through the Ukraine Development Fund, BlackRock and J.P. Morgan will mobilize capital from private and public sector investors toward rebuilding the Ukrainian economy, according to CNN as a financial investors admit they see the fund as a lucrative windfall. War is profitable. And so BlackRock is looking to profit off of Ukraine as well as simultaneously profiting off of Bitcoin. Bringing this episode full circle, an article in the U.S. Sun by Millie Turner talks about blockchain technology potentially being married with AI to prevent deep fakes, which would be an incredible development. The article says blockchain could help stop out-of-control artificial intelligence being abused by Vladimir Putin to spread fake news about the war in Ukraine, an expert has claimed. Speaking of blockchain technology, the article says that it's described as an open-source ledger of information which could be one way of making more AI transparent if the pair were combined. According to Stefania Barbaglio, a London-based entrepreneur and technology expert. According to Barbaglio, the blockchain would add a layer of transparency by finding the original source of information that currently, in her estimation, AI is not able to discern. The article goes on and says, beyond fake news, integrating blockchain and AI might also help quell the rise in so-called deep fakes, AI-generated fake pictures and videos, which are increasingly being used to scam victims out of money, for example. And I would say also scamming uh, U.S. citizens and citizens of the world, scamming them out of hearing the truth in the political realm. And so... Uh, this could be a tremendous development in that regard if there's a way that we can neutralize deep fakes and fake news so that the tools of state propaganda could not be so easily used against us as they are now. And so that's a development uh, worthy of continuing to monitor. And so those are the key issues that we looked at today in this episode of Blockchain that I appreciate 
the time as always that you spend with me and opening up your mind to contemplate and consider ideas. And if you have found this podcast to have been in any way entertaining or enlightening or thought-provoking, I would ask you to subscribe, follow, share this podcast with others. This is Colonel Stebbins signing off.